It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 87, David and the Amalekites. Before we begin this episode, I want to make a disclaimer if there are little ones listening to this program. The biblical record of the account of this episode, at least the battle scene, is limited, but the outside historical record of David's battle with the Amalekites is pretty intense. For this reason, I'm going to issue a warning with this episode. Probably should have done this in some previous episodes, but if there are little ones listening in on this episode, one should be aware of the violence that we'll be covering in this episode. I could edit it out, but hey, Josephus doesn't normally give such graphic detail, and the account of David and the Amalekites is pretty wild. All that being said, we're going to stick with the intense version of David and the Amalekites because it does give us a closer look at this age and the terror and intensity associated with Iron Age warfare. So there's your warning. Here we go. As Saul is freaking out at the size of the Philistine force marching against him, and he goes to the Witch of Endor for guidance, David finds himself marching in the ranks of the Philistine army. To understand what's going on here, we have to understand the strange position David has put himself into because of his decision made in fear. In this episode, we're going to try to explain the perspective of David and do our best to paint the emotion of the man and tell the account of the events which transpired to bring about prophecy out of complete chaos and war. Also in this episode, we have a parallel theme of the price of silence and separation from God that comes to an end when David strengthens himself in the Lord. David, in his fear, has been playing a fake alliance with Achish, the king of Gath. He's been conducting a genocidal campaign against the Amalekites, all the while sending spoil back to Achish, saying he's obtained the spoils from Achish's enemies, including false attacks upon the people of Judah. As awful as this sounds, David has escaped the reach of Saul, who wants him dead, while playing Achish for the fool, while fear was playing David for a fool. Intrigue is quite complicated. So when the Philistines mobilize for war against Israel, King Achish calls upon David to come to his aid and fight Israel. What could David do, since he's been faking their friendship and alliance for over a year? The Bible never tells us what David is thinking, but I can imagine his army is wrought with disorder. Though Abishai would gladly put a spear through Saul, I doubt he would be interested in attacking any soldier from the tribe of Judah fighting with Saul. It is really common sense to see that David, by agreeing to march with Achish of the Philistines from the city of Gath, he was eventually going to betray him during or prior to the battle and bring victory for Israel. Depending on how you look at it, David must have considered this either a gift to be allowed in the enemy camp or a curse to be trapped behind enemy lines. 
when to attack, what to tell the men. All this strategy must have been swirling through David's mind. What is sad is that there's no psalm or crying out to God here. Remember, David acted in fear when he moved to Gath and Ziglag, and what could call this a fallen away season for David? But we will find he calls upon the name of the Lord again very soon. But it requires him to be at rock bottom. I mean rock bottom, with death and depression and failure in his face. I see King Achish calling upon David, and as David's soldiers approach the outskirts of the Philistine camp, the other lords of the Philistines freak out, for they remember David and his exploits against him. No doubt the older men remembered him personally, possibly showing the scars on their body, complaining to Achish, Isn't this the David that they said killed his tens of thousands? They pretty much commanded Achish to send David back. For the aggressiveness of David's response to Achish, it appears David had convinced himself that he was going to betray the Philistines in the battle, and this ruined his plans. What happens next surprises me. David goes back to Ziglag. I'm surprised at this because why didn't he turn to save Israel from the upcoming battle? But even if he planned to turn back later, this was impossible, for the fourth army was on the loose. David turns and heads back south from near Mount Gilboa back to Ziglag with his 600 men. No doubt he was racked with worry regarding the upcoming battle. Would Saul be killed? How about Jonathan and the brothers and the faithful of Israel? In addition, I can see the disorder among the soldiers and the awful name-calling. How could David lead them and let them be? Has he turned coward? Possibly because of his fear of his cover being blown. Or maybe there was an unknown surrender to God. Or there is the thought that David would fake a retreat to Ziglag and then return for the battle, or even attack Philistia from behind enemy lines. We don't know. But with certainty, we can say David was in this position due to his fear and the events that spiraled out of control for him. When his men approached only miles from Ziglag, they could see smoke. And they came closer, they smelled fire. And it wasn't long before they came upon Ziglag destroyed by fire, and their wives and children were gone, and all their livestock and treasures and spoils were gone. First Samuel 30. And David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Imagine the disorder in David's mind and the rebellion and anger in the men. What would it be like if you lost your family or children in a day? There was talk of stoning David. What? His men wanted to kill him for this horrible leadership. That's crazy. This could be the end for David. His men could have killed him right here. But take note, here's one of those mysterious God-placed references to a turnaround, resurrection power, and a storied reversal. 1 Samuel 30. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. What day? The third day. All through this podcast, when we run into third-day accounts, we can tell the story of Israel 
was now being turned with redeeming power, and we will soon learn David was turning back to God. This zigzag season of fear was coming to an end. I imagine this season of fear came with a time of confusion for David, for a few of any psalms were written during this time frame, and his relationship with God had a constant flow of fear darts that tried to separate them. But this is coming to an end. I ask the listeners, have you ever been in this season? If so, take note of what David does. 1 Samuel 36 David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding parley? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Isn't this great? David is back in God's will. David strengthened himself in the Lord. A beautiful thing. He strengthened himself in the Lord. This is how he collected himself, and as the men wanted to stone him, fear could have consumed him completely right there and now. But instead, he withdrew into a secret place with God and found the strength in God that was needed for the moment. God's answer was to pursue overtake and succeed in the rescue as a listener in england who loves to make t-shirts i think that would be a pretty cool t-shirt pursue overtake and rescue isn't that the gospel god pursues our hearts overtakes us with his love and he rescues us from sin and death pursue overtake and rescue upon hearing god's word David's men most likely followed the tracks of camels and deduced their direction and heading and followed the trail west. Next they came upon an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They revived him back to life, for he was left behind and had eaten for three days. He ate and revived and told David he was with the Amalekites when they raided the region and burned Ziglag. After being revived and obtained a promise of no harm, he led David and his men to the Amalekite camp. Before we move on, check out the hidden message again regarding the third day. The Egyptian, left for dead, hadn't eaten in three days, and he was revived on the verge of death. This Egyptian was revived on the third day. Amazing how these hidden messages are right in front of us to find. Third day resurrection power is about to be on full display. 1 Samuel thirty sixteen, He let David down, and there they were, scattered over the hillside, eating, drinking, reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away except four hundred young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. So that's a biblical account of the battle, but we have some pretty serious detail provided by Josephus, and it's pretty intense. Josephus's account is quite detailed, so I'm going to summarize to the point of the action. For my best guess, it's hard to say for sure, since none of the accounts give figures, but I would like to guess the Amalekites in this scene have at least 5,000 soldiers, and I'd like to give a stretch figure of up to 20,000 Amalekites. 
So a bit about the Amalekites first. These are the guys that attacked Moses and the Israelites when they had left Egypt. These are a cursed nation, according to God, and the one Saul was supposed to utterly destroy, and they are still hanging around. David had been ravaging them for years, and this must have been a very large remote clan of the Amalekites which show up here. So let's set the scene. Imagine a fleet of pirates back in the days of pirates in the Caribbean. They decide to attack some really wealthy, rich city full of treasure ships. They attack the city and find all the fighting men are out of town, and there is treasure beyond their imagination, and livestock is abundant, and they haul off all the livestock and women and children to sell them into slavery. The pirates instantly hit the lottery, and the lead captains become some of the most wealthy men on the planet. Given their bent towards self-indulgence and binge drinking, the pirates just get smashed. I mean smashed. And that's what's going on here. This raiding Amalekite army hit the lottery and robbed one of the wealthiest group of people around and find themselves millionaires. And they party, I mean party, and they get tanked like it's 1999 and they were stockbrokers before the 2001 and 2008 crash. I mean, these guys binge drink all the wine they can find and they have the largest gluttonous feast you can think of. With all the livestock in Ziglag, they couldn't take it all with them. So they have the largest barbecue they've ever seen. And they are naked and drunk. I mean really drunk. Beyond blackout and memory loss, they're gone. From the sound of things, the Amalekites were enjoying their feast and hadn't touched the captives of Ziglag. But it appears by their lack of clothing that they're about to conduct themselves very barbarously. When David comes upon them aggressively striking them at their feast, most likely at sundown. Here is Josephus' account. So David made use of him as a guide. This is the Egyptian we had spoken of before. To find out all about the Amalekites, and when they had overtaken them, and as they lay scattered about on the ground, some of them at dinner, some disordered and entirely drunk with wine, and in the fruition of their spoils and their prey, he fell upon them all of a sudden, and made a great slaughter among them, for they were naked and expected no such thing, but had betaken themselves to drinking and feasting, and so they were all easily destroyed. Now some of them that were overtaken as they lay at the table were slain in that posture, and their blood brought up with it their meat and their food. They slew others of them as they were drinking to one another in their cups, and some of them with their full bellies had made them fall asleep. And for so many as had time to put on all their armor, they slew them with the sword, and with no less ease than they did with those who were naked. And for the partisans of David, they continued also the slaughter from the first hour of the day to the evening, so that there were not above four hundred of the Amalekites left, and they were only escaped by getting upon their camels. Accordingly, David recovered not only all of the other spoils which the enemy had carried away, but his wives also, and the wives of his companions. So the slaughter went on from evening the first night until evening of the second night. And this is why I imply there must have been thousands of the Amalekites, for David's men slaughtered them continually until only four hundred escaped on camels. 
So if you wonder how David continued the battle into the night, the Legends of the Jews has a mysterious quote regarding this battle, noting God's intervention in the fulfillment of David recovering all. Here's the notation. Again, in this battle with the Amalekites, David enjoyed direct intervention from above. Lightning and flashes and sheets illuminated the dark night, so enabling him to carry on the struggle. So lots of Jewish history and tradition in this episode. Regardless, this would have been a crazy scene. Quite surprising we haven't seen this in a movie yet. Here's a biblical conclusion in this account. 1 Samuel 30, 26. When David reached Ziglag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. In total, he sent the spoils of war to 13 Israelite cities. Isn't this a picture of grace? David, on the verge of losing everything, has recovered everything, and has more than he had even before the battle. Imagine the eventual shock of the loss of Saul and his sons at Gilboa, yet then followed by the opposite news from David of a victory and the spoils of war flowing into the cities. David's fortunes will be changing very quickly. But let's not forget, and nor will David for a while, that he almost just lost everything. So we'll leave David here after the victory, and next week we'll cover the Battle of Gilboa. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we have to consider David in the season of fear and the consequence of his silence and separation from God and see what happens when we call upon the Lord and strengthen ourselves in Him. David and Israel paid a horrible price for his decisions to move to Ziglag. Due to strengthening of the Philistines and the loss and absence of his army and the anointing from Israel, Saul is going to die and with him thousands. David slaughtered innocents in the wilderness, and he found himself flat-footed and off-guard when the Amalekites showed up. He nearly loses his wife and children. Their treasure is taken, and Ziglag is burned. David's men are about to stone him. This could have been the end for David. Extreme desperation and depression and fear no doubt attacked him. But what did David do? What do you do when you find yourself in a pit? Where do you go? Do you give up? Did you give up? If David would have cowered before his men, they probably would have stoned him. Instead, David picked himself up and called upon the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord and grabbed his sword and fought. May we be a people that have steadfast determination and a face like flint towards adversity. May we rise up and out of every pit set before us, strengthen ourselves in the Lord. If this is not one of the best stories to tell any backslidden Christian, I don't know what is. After David's nearly loss of everything and after walking away from God, not completely, he still knew who he was, but his walk with God wasn't the same when he stepped in fear. And anyone who has walked away from or just stopped talking to God for a while and found themselves backslidden, walked away and fearful and not in the right place and right step with God, now is the time to strengthen yourself in the Lord. It starts with talking to God and crying out to Him to help you out of your mess. Turn 180 degrees away from your current path. Ask for His guidance and direction like David did and wait for the answer and you will receive it. Be obedient like David was as he pursued, overtook, and rescued all. In this story of grace and your story of grace, God pulls the backslider 
who strengthens themselves in the Lord to pursue, overtake, and rescue all that is lost, and bless those who love him beyond all we can think or imagine. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we cover the Battle of Gilboa. Check out the messagetokings.com website, leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.